But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. This is Jonah's song of gratitude and thanksgiving. A psalm of rescue, restoration, and deliverance. Jonah had been cut off from God and now he was restored to his presence. He is making sincere vows, sincere promises to a God that he loves. Right? Except remember where Jonah is at this point. First one of chapter two tells us that he's hanging out in the belly of a fish deep in the middle of the sea. As others have pointed out, foxhole confessions are only as real as the follow through. You've been there, right? This, this mirrors my own prayer life in middle school and high school, where I would bargain with God and make promises. God, you've done so much for me. How could I ask for more? But I tell you what, if you just give me an A on that test or get the girl to like me or let lucky sevens pop up on the casinos, I promise I'll never cuss again. I was a master of foxhole prayers. I bet you have a few good ones yourself as well. But foxhole confessions are only as real as the follow through. So to understand our passage in chapter two, we have to take a look at the full story. If you haven't read the book of Jonah in a while, I invite you to maybe take, take a minute, hit pause and go read it. Because there was a lot about this short book that I forgot. It's less than 50 verses, but it is packed with irony, unexpected twists, and theological tension. Most importantly, Jonah asks many questions and forces us to really take a look at ourselves. Honestly, as I read the book of Jonah, I felt like I was looking into a mirror at myself. I was seeing things that I didn't really want to see. But the book of Jonah is also an invitation an invitation about who we can become. If you haven't read the story in a while, Jonah runs from his assignment to preach and to go and prophesy to the Ninevites. God tells him to head east, and he books it west. As the ship heads west, it encounters a storm. And from reading the narrative, it seems that Jonah would rather die than to go back and preach to the Ninevites. In fact, Jonah is thrown overboard into the sea. What is causing Jonah to run and react so strongly to God's call in his life? Jonah is often called the reluctant prophet, in, in part because he hears God's call and instead of obeying, he runs. But it's not uncommon in scripture for those who are called to prophesy to be reluctant. Moses was reluctant because he stuttered. Jeremiah, because he was young, Jonah, however, stands out in his reluctance. He had zero intentions of following through on God's call for his life. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh is described in other books as city of blood and full of cruelty. The Assyrians were an enemy of Israel. Maybe Jonah would rather die at the hands of the sea than at the hands of the cruel Ninevites. If we read on, though, we find out it's something actually very different. Jonah wasn't afraid of the Ninevites. 
And Jonah reluctantly follows through on God's plan to preach to his enemies. The Ninevites repent and respond to God and turn from their wicked ways. This is great news, isn't it? Jonah should be rejoicing and repeating the song he sang at the beginning of this chapter. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. However, Jonah becomes angry with God. And God patiently raises a mirror for Jonah to take a look at himself. The thing is, Jonah doesn't want to look in that mirror. The scripture goes on to tell us that this was very displeasing to Jonah. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled from Tarshish in the beginning. For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city, sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself. He sat there under the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. In chapter two, we found Jonah drowning before God sends a fish to save him. And he is rejoicing in his own deliverance. But here we find him wanting nothing to do with that same deliverance when it is pointed towards his enemies. Instead of looking into the mirror and responding to God's question, Jonah posts up on a hillside, hoping God's going to change his mind, hoping that he has a front row seat to the destruction of the city. And it's not that Jonah didn't know God. From the text, it's clear that Jonah knew God well. He states he knew God was gracious and ready to relent from punishing the Ninevites. He just didn't want any part of it. How many of us resist being changed and transformed by God? Reluctance and resistance are as much a part of us as they are of Jonah. Learning and growing and being stretched doesn't always feel comfortable, and it's certainly not anything that we just seek out. It's also hard not to read this story and think about everything that's going on in 2020. The racism that's being exposed, the tension around it, conflict and social unrest. There's a lot of us versus them in our world today. Like the book of Jonah, it's almost like the year 2020 wants to raise a mirror and ask us to take a look in that mirror at ourselves. Yet there are many of us who don't want to take a look, who would rather ignore it than confront what we see reflected in that mirror. We don't want to look because for many of us in the white community, it means facing our own biases and prejudice, our own incomplete worldviews, and our racist tendencies, whether we intend them or not. Jonah is sitting on this hillside, smugly, and expressing his own racism, spiritual pride, and tightly held worldview. 
the book of Jonah ends with God asking this question. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left? We are left here with this question unanswered. We don't know Jonah's response. This is how the book ends abruptly. Does Jonah look into the mirror and respond to God? Does he see himself more clearly and in turn see God more clearly? One commentator noted, sadly, Jonah's story is still all too real. Unlike God, most of us are quick to retaliate, too willing to write off people who are different than us, and too sure that we know how to protect God. Moreover, too few of us strive to be like the radical God of Jonah, the God whose compassion outruns anger, the God whose patience outlasts indignation. I think the question is left unanswered at the end of Jonah because it's our question to answer too. Will we look into the mirror at ourselves? Will we see the way we villainize the other, yet prop up those who are like us? Will we see the ways that we are generous with our judgment, but stingy with the grace that allows others to be human beings? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount tell us, tells us how we should treat one another, saying, You have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you only greet your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than the others? Do not the Gentiles even do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Then again in John 13, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Andy Stanley recently said, when discussing the things going on in our country, perhaps nothing characterized the life of Jesus more than his pursuit of people whose lives and lifestyles did not look like his. If we fail to listen to people who do not experience the world the way that we do, we will never bear their burdens. We will not be able to love them as Christ has loved us. What would it look like for you to move toward the other? To move towards those who are different than you? This is God's invitation to Jonah. And this is God's invitation to us this morning as well. Six years ago, we hosted Bob Goff at our church for a youth event. If you don't know Bob, he's a lawyer, author, speaker, and he also happens to be the honorary consul for the Republic of Uganda. 
At the event, Bob told the story of when he got a phone call from the country of Uganda about some witch doctors. I'll spare you the details here, but there was this incredibly evil and harmful practice among witch doctors that caused traumatic events and death among many young men in Uganda. A young boy had lived through one of these tragic events and the people wanted to put the witch doctor on trial, which is something that had never happened before. The good news is they succeeded in the trial. Despite a lot of fear and resistance, they were able to put the witch doctor named Kabi in prison for life. Being a lawyer, Bob rejoiced in the verdict. Yet, as if God was raising a mirror for Bob to look at himself, he began to have the feeling that God wanted more for Kabi. Bob hated this feeling. Much like Jonah, he felt that Kabi deserved to rot in jail for the rest of his life for what he did. He was fine with the verdict. But Jesus' words to love our enemies kept coming back to him. So he decided to visit Kabi in prison. Kabi ultimately declares to Bob that he needs forgiveness and that he wants to turn his life over to Jesus. Kabi meets Jesus and is made new. But Bob said as this was happening, there was this thing welling up inside him going, really, God? Really? This is the guy who gets grace. This guy? Are you sure about this? Bob continued to meet with Kabi, and on one of those visits, and as those visits went on, he saw less and less of a felon and more and more of a person trying to follow Jesus just as Bob was. Many visits later, Kabi gets permission to share his story of how Jesus has transformed his life to the rest of the prison. Over 3,000 men who are sentenced to die in a maximum security prison gather to hear this story. Bob said it was the worst gospel presentation he's ever heard. In fact, he said Kabi butchered it so bad he wasn't even sure he was a follower of Jesus after it was over. Yet, God used Kabi, and hundreds of men started coming forward to receive words of forgiveness as Kabi sat there and patiently talked with them. God invited Bob to move toward Kabi, and in doing so, he showed him how much grace and mercy and love there is inside of the God that we serve. God is inviting us to move towards other people in our lives as well. Friends, don't be afraid to look into the mirror. God does not intend it for your shame, but for your healing. There's an invitation to be a part of God's work of deliverance and restoration in this world. And friends, it is your invitation. Eugene Peterson says, Jonah is not a hero too high and mighty for us to identify with. He doesn't do anything great. We find in Jonah a companion in our ineptness. Even when Jonah does it right, like finally preaching to the Ninevites, he does it wrong by getting angry at God. But the whole time, God is working within and around Jonah's very ineptness and accomplishing his purposes in him. Friends, this is the good news. God does not give up on Jonah. 
that song that he sang at the beginning in the belly of the fish, in the middle of the deep sea, that song of deliverance, it's his song to sing again. We don't know what happens next, but I like to imagine that Jonah eventually looks to God. He decides to get up off the hillside and say, all right, let's go down to the city and let's see what all of this is about. As he walks the streets and meets the people, his tightly held worldview begins to soften. His righteous anger dissipates. His prejudice begins to disappear. And he begins to love as God has loved him. Eventually, he says to God, All right, where to next? Amen.